Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 25th, and our chapter for today is Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be mimics, mimetai, mimics of God as dear children. As little children look at their father and want to walk like him, talk like him, be like him, grow up like him, then that's the way that the children of God ought to be walking every day. Walk in love, even as Christ also loved us. This is how we walk in love. We are mimicking the Father. We are mimicking the Lord Jesus. We are being possessed by His Spirit. The Trinity is shown in living color in chapter 5. Therefore, as imitators of God, as dear children, children are related to the Father. He said, mimic the Father as a child does his Father and walk in love. That is peripateo. You walk in love. This is the middle voice. That means we ourselves are to discipline ourselves to walk in love. And we do this just as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. The example that we need to be mimicking is the Lord Jesus. And when it says walk in love, what do you mean walk in love? What he says is we have an example of what it means to walk in love. Walk as Jesus loved us. That's the way we are to love others. As Jesus treats us, that is the way we ought to treat others. Now, does that mean that we walk around and let people walk over us. That's not what Jesus did. Do you mean that that means we're always mamby-pamby milk toast? Jesus was not mamby-pamby milk toast. He loved people enough to tell them the truth. Was that always pleasant? No. Was it always right? Yes, he was always right. And so you and I need to live like Jesus. You see, this is the goal of the Christian life. Maturity is not based upon how many souls you win. Maturity is not based upon how many Bible verses you know. Maturity is not any other thing than walking in the way that Jesus walked, being like Jesus. The goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. And when we do that, when we are that, when we are being and doing Jesus, then that's like a sweet-smelling offering to God. It is a sweet-smelling aroma. It's a smell, not a stench in the nostrils of God. That's the way we are to live. But he said, don't live like this in porneo, in fornication. That is sex before marriage. It is sex outside of marriage, beyond marriage, when you're married, that is called adultery. But fornication and uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among. Don't talk about it because it's not fitting for saints to do that. Quit being filthy. Don't be foolish talking and coarse jesting. That is off-color stuff. Don't be like that. God says, that's not what I saved you for, nor foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather give thanks to God. You say, well, you can't go around being all thankful all the time. Why? 
Why can't we? Who says we can't? The world, the flesh, the devil. But God says, I want you to be thankful all the time. You need to give thanks always, rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous, everybody he's just talking about, these lifestyles, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, this is not somebody that falls into something. This is not somebody who gets caught up in something. This is not somebody who sins from time to time and rebels from time. This is someone that they are known by their rebellion. They are known by their fornication. They are known by their uncleanness. They are known by their covetousness. They are known as being idolaters. The Bible says this is not the way the child of God lives and acts. That is a person who is claiming something, is naming something, but they are not what they claim to be. Let no man deceive you with empty words, with futile words. For because of these very things that have just named the wrath of God, comes upon the children of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. In other words, when people are like that, get away from them. You say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, they're going to hurt you. So get away from them. And why would you stay around something that you know is poison? Why would you stay around something that's going to rub off on you and kill you? I mean, we have a drug in the United States of America today called fentanyl, and there's others that are more powerful than them coming from other countries into America. Even those who are trying to help those who have been affected by this drug, even in trying to revive them, sometimes die themselves in trying to revive them. Why? Because it is so poisonous. This is what he's saying. He's saying, get away from people like that. Don't live your lives with people like that. Why? They will affect you. They will poison you. You say, but I can save them. No, you can't. If God cannot save them, you cannot. Do you not remember what the Bible says? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You see, evil is so permeating and we are so prone to wickedness that if we're around it, we're going to be influenced by evil rather than influencing for good. And so God never is wrong. He just says, be careful, don't be partakers with them. And then he talks about, we were once in darkness, now we're in light, and that God has given us a fellowship that is with him, not with works of darkness. And so he says that light exposes darkness, and that's what we need to do. In verse 14, he says, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, will give you light. And then he begins a new section. It's the last section. Yes, it's not chapter 6 yet, but it affects chapter 6. Because in chapter 5, from verses 15 and following, I'm going to just lay this out for you, and then in the next podcast, I'm going to try to deal with it as it's written. Because in verse 15, he says, see then that you walk circumspectly. That's an old English word, which means carefully. Be careful of how you're walking. Don't walk as a fool. Don't walk as someone who's foolish, who is moronish, but as someone who's wise. Buying up the time. That's the word redeeming the time. Making the most out of every opportunity, redeeming the time because the days in which we're living are evil. 
Why do we need to be careful about how we walk? Why do we need to take the advantage of every opportunity to serve the Lord? Because the days in which we're living are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, this is very important. Verse 17 says, we need to be wise, not unwise, and understand what the will of the Lord is. And then in verse 18, he starts telling us what the will of the Lord is. And he sets a pattern for all of what he's going to say for the rest of what we call chapter 5 and chapter 6. So he says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is God's will? Understand what the will of the Lord is, and then he tells us. The will of the Lord is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, he gave an analogy here. He gave a contrast here. He said, this is God's will. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, why would he start out with a negative? Because the negative will get our attention. What does it mean to be filled with wine? It means to be controlled by wine. The more wine you drink, the more it controls you. And when you're filled with wine, you are under the control of alcohol. You are under the control of another substance. You are under the control, not of your own faculties, but something else has control of you. He says, so don't be controlled by wine, by drunkenness. But, he said, be filled, be controlled with the Spirit. Just as you are under the control of alcohol when you are filled with it, when you're at capacity, so it is with the Spirit of God. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, you are controlled by someone besides yourself. You are controlled by God Himself, by His Spirit. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, it affects everything and everyone around us. And so starting in verse 19, he talks about how it affects us personally. What affects us? Being controlled by the Spirit of God, not being controlled by an outside substance that is ungodly, that is wicked, that will do us harm, but be filled by the person, be controlled by the person who is the Holy Spirit, God in us. And that always results in certain behavior. First of all, he says, how it affects us personally. That is in verses 19 and 20. In verse 22, it affects our family. Besides our person, that which is most precious to us is our family. And so he talks about that all the way through the end of chapter 5. And the primary part of the family is the husband and wife. Then in chapter 6, being filled with the Spirit not only affects us personally, verses 19 and 20, but it affects our family. Verses 22 through the end of chapter 5 deal with what? Deal with the primary aspects of the family, which is the husband and wife. But not only that, in chapter 6, he said it affects the relationship, not just between husband and wife and not just ourselves, but also the children and how we handle ourselves with our children. And then he says it will affect us and how we have relationships with those that we are subservient to. In the case of the Greco-Roman world, it was slaves and slave masters. But here, 
in our day, it is employer-employee because there's not slaves, willful slaves or forced slavery in our day-to-day in an open sense. Now, we know there's trafficking and slavery of every kind, but that is not open and accepted as law. But in the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament, it was. And early in our history as a nation, it was. God forbid we ever go back to that. But there's plenty of slavery today. It's just not lawful and open. And I pray that it never is again. But this is what he's talking about. And then he talks about our relationship with our enemy and taking on the whole armor of God. All of that springs from understanding what the will of the Lord is. So let me lay it out for you again. In chapter 5 and verse 15, we are admonished to not walk around foolishly, but carefully that we are to understand what is the will of God. What is the will of God? That we be controlled by the Spirit of God. When we are controlled by the Spirit of God, it will affect us personally. That's verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5. It affects our own person, how we are, how we live, how we praise, how we worship, how we're grateful, our attitude. And then in verse 22 through the end of chapter 5, he talks about how it will affect us in our family. Well, the primary relationship in the family has to do with the husband and wife, and that's what he deals with because it affects the way in which we live. God has authority structure within the Godhead itself. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there is structure within the Godhead. There is submission within the Godhead. So it has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. It has to do with relationships and function. And so there is role and authority and relationship within the Godhead, within the family, And so it is with the husband and wife. So he says, get in your proper order. The way that we are filled with the Spirit of God and know that we are filled with the Spirit of God is how we subject ourselves and submit ourselves to the divine authority given. And so within the marriage relationship, there is the authority of the husband and the wife. And then chapter 6, it starts talking about the authority, God-given authority of parents over children of employers over employees, of the child of God over Satan and his demons and everyone associated with Satan. That goes all the way through until the benediction at the end of chapter 6. You see, Paul was writing a letter, and he wanted to tell them, look, when you're saved, it's going to affect the way you worship. It's going to affect your person. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, it primarily First of all, it affects you. You're going to speak to one another in psalms, in psalmoi, in hymnos, and in ode, in odes, in spiritual ballads and songs. You're going to be singing and making melody in your heart or with your heart to the Lord. You're going to be filled with an attitude of gratitude. You're going to be thanking God always. And for all things, you're going to give praise to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 21, he says, not only will the Spirit affect 
affect your relationship with God and your fellowship with God and your praise to God, but it will affect your role, relationships, and intimacy with each other. He says, submitting yourselves one another to God. And submission doesn't mean, remember, it does not mean that someone is better than someone, that someone's superior and another is inferior. Because there is submission within the Godhead, and the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are equal. They're not in inferiority and superiority because of roles. No, the word hupotasso, submitting here, means get in your proper order. It's a military term. It has to do with rank, not value or worth. The many times a private would have a better character and be a more godly man than a general. But that has nothing to do with that private submitting to a general. It has to do with rank. It has to do with order because everybody can't be a general. Everybody can't be a captain. There has to be rank and order if we're going to function in the home, in the church, and in society. This is what he says. When the spirit is in control, there is praise, worship, thanksgiving, but there's also order. There's order in the family. You get that cosmos, that order. That's what the word cosmos means is order. Cosmeo, where we get our word cosmetics, comes from the word which means to enhance the order of one's face or whatever it is that you're cosmeo, that you're trying to order. Because you see, when God made the world, he made it with order. There is rhythm and order to the seasons, to the days, to the hours. There is order in every sense of the word. There's order within the family. And when we get outside of God's order and authority, there's not cosmos order, there's chaos confusion. And so he says that we need to, everyone submit to one another. That is, do this in fear of God and reverence to God. Why? Because God is the one that created order. And when we do it God's way, it's always best. It's never wrong when we do it God's way. Now, we can do a right thing in a wrong way, but doing the right thing is never wrong when we do it in God's name, in God's way, in God's order, in the attitude that God's given us to do it in. So he talks about the husband and wife relationship. That is, God made uh, the man and the woman, and he gave order as to how they relate to one another. And I'll have to deal with that in the next podcast as we go through these last verses of chapter 5 in the beginning and end of chapter 6. But that's enough for today. As we walk on the way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.